0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 12, 2023 Sunday's reading of the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Shaneen Shanahan. Mass Violence, One of the Greatest Challenges of Our Time by Shelley Bradbury and Elise Schmelzer. Colorado Health Advocates Seek More Funding for Family Planning by Meg Wingertur. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Mass violence, one of the greatest challenges of our time. State law, ineffective mental health, holds must change, experts say. By Shelley Bradbury and Elise Schmelzer, the Denver Post. A man at Denver International Airport told his father he'd ram his truck through a gate, hijack a plane, and shoot up the airport. A husband promised carnage at his former place of worship. A woman in East Denver vowed to open fire in a grocery store to make people listen to her. An author published a book detailing gruesome killings. A young person with bomb-making supplies pledged to be the next mass killer. A Colorado Springs man threatened a mass shooting at a street fair. In the last 15 months, three of those people acted on their threats, and 12 Coloradans died. After those attacks, the three suspects' prior threats loomed large, missing warning signs of impending tragedy. A year before, authorities say a 22-year-old killed five in a Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub, a judge said that the suspect was clearly planning an attack, and it would be, quote, so bad if the person did not get mental health treatment. Before a man shot and killed five in a targeted spree across Denver and Lakewood, a reader tipped the FBI and Denver police that his murderous novels might be a manifesto. And before a man attempted to bomb a Jehovah's Witness hall in Thornton on Christmas Day and fatally shot his wife and then himself, a family member became so worried about his escalating antisocial behavior, she asked the police to intervene. None of it was enough to prevent bloodshed. The failings in those cases have been well documented, but a review of red flag filings and interviews with law enforcement and mental health professionals by the Denver Post shows people across Colorado regularly make threats of mass violence, and the safety net intended to prevent such attacks is a complex, fragmented system that pits personal freedoms against public safety. Patchwork funding means some communities are better equipped than others to investigate threats of mass violence and to get help for those who need mental health treatment. Assessing the credibility of threats is difficult, messy work, and state law can make it hard for bystanders, mental health professionals, and police to intervene until a situation becomes dire. Mandatory holds for people experiencing dangerous mental health symptoms are short-lived and too often result in a person being released back into society with few resources. Quote, that gray area where there's not necessarily criminal charges, but how do we make sure this person doesn't do something in the future? That's the the tricky situation, said Denver Police Chief Commander Paul Jimenez of the Department's Strategic Investigation Bureau, which includes the counter-threat section. Colorado doesn't have a statewide multidisciplinary threat assessment team, law enforcement and government officials told the Post. There's no overarching system to track a person's threats or threatening behavior across jurisdictions and time, especially if that person is not charged with a crime. Frustrated families are often left to advocate for a loved one, even as that loved one might pose a threat to them, and people fall through the cracks. Quote, this is one of the great challenges of our time, 18th Judicial District Attorney John Kellner said. Mental illness and mass violence. By the time Denver police officers responded to reports of a man claiming to have a gun and pushing an empty wheelchair at Denver International Airport in September, that man's family had been trying to get him help for five months. They weren't surprised to hear that officers took the man to a hospital for an involuntary mental health assessment after determining he was unarmed but, quote, high, acting highly erratic. They weren't surprised when he was released from the hospital and was back at DIA the next day. It wasn't a shock when the man then called his father from the airport and threatened to carry out a mass shooting to hijack a plane. Quote, Thankfully, he hasn't gotten to where he has hurt anybody, the man's sister said. But it's just terrifying. When someone is this far gone, unless this trajectory can be stopped, where is it going to end? You just don't know. The man's sister spoke to the Post about her brother's long-term mental health issues, with his permission, on the condition that neither sibling be named in order to protect the brother's career. The 40-year-old man lives in rural Colorado and was diagnosed 20 years ago with bipolar schizoaffective disorder, which means he experiences episodes of mania, a high mood, with high energy and activity, coupled with delusions and a break from reality. Quote, my brother is a pretty normal person who is just plagued with his mind getting hijacked sometimes, his sister said. People who are mentally ill are much more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators, and the vast majority of people with mental illness do not carry out mass violence, experts told The Post. But mental illness does often play a role in mass violence. A study released in January by the U.S. Secret Service that looked at perpetrators of 173 mass violence attacks in public spaces between 2016 and 2020 found that the majority of attackers experienced mental health symptoms, including depression, paranoia, or suicidal thoughts prior to or during their attacks. In Colorado, several suspects in mass shootings have had documented mental health conditions. The suspect in the November 19th attack at Club Q in Colorado Springs has been prescribed medications used to treat schizophrenia, mood disorders, and depression. The man accused of carrying out a mass shooting at a Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood clinic in 2015 has been consistently found mentally incompetent to stand trial. And the man who killed 12 at an Aurora movie theater was diagnosed with schizophrenia, as was the man charged in the 2021 mass shootings at a Boulder King's Supers. The Secret Service study found that effective mental health treatment is part of mass violence prevention and that communities should work to ensure people who are in a mental health crisis can get the help they need. But that's easier said than done. People who need mental health care in Colorado must navigate a complex system that doesn't easily share information between providers. And those who don't want care, even though they need it, have to become a threat to their own safety or others before they can be helped against their will. A disconnect between Colorado's court system and medical system means some people who need help are never connected to care, said Andrew Sylvester, a psychiatrist at UC Health. There are only a handful of mental health courts across the state, courtrooms that are focused on helping people with mental illness who are accused of crimes. There are five such courts serving 10 counties in Colorado, according to the Colorado Judicial Branch. Quote, you have a right to be mentally ill. When the man who made threats at DIA is healthy, he's a friendly, compassionate guy who is deeply dedicated to his family, his sister said. He holds down a well-paying remote work positions and keeps up romantic relationships. But when he's sick, he becomes a different person. He uses a different name, changes his phone number to the 202 area code, and dresses differently. He's rude and entitled, and he shuns his family in favor of spending time in bars with acquaintances. Over the last two decades he's had regular episodes of mania and delusions that can last weeks or months his sister said once he went 5 years without having an episode his longest healthy stretch in early 2022 life was good for him new job likable colleagues new girlfriend quote and then in may he said to my aunt something is wrong my eyes don't look right i'm afraid i'm going maniac his sister said and within days he was no longer himself and then it lasted for 6 months when he's delusional, her brother believes he's part of some grand plan, she said. He's in the FBI, or he has to stop a global war, or he has a mission against looming dangers that he can't quite articulate. In 2011, he tried to break into the White House to personally warn the president of danger he perceived. Quote, that did not go well, his sister said with a laugh. Her brother was arrested and charged with assaulting a police officer. The episode that hit him in May was the longest he's ever experienced, his sister said. Over the years, he's figured out how to recognize the signs of an episode early and get himself medical help, and he tried to last summer, she said. He checked himself into the emergency room more than a dozen times, she said, got inpatient help 10 times, but he'd often complain of something unrelated to his true problem once he got there, like foot pain, and he'd refuse antipsychotic medications, the only treatment that pulls him back after, back to being healthy, she said. He always left the hospital as delusional as he was when he walked in, she said. Quote, he says it's like fighting with himself, she said. He's trying to get help, and then he arrives at the institution, and the manic and delusional part of him takes over, and he's like, no, 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 we're not going to let him do that. It's a battle, and it's a battle where the further he goes into the delusion, it appears to be harder and harder to help. Last summer, she watched her brother repeatedly refuse the only effective treatments for his illness, she said. You have the right to be mentally ill, his sister said. Colorado law allows a person to be detained for 72 hours against their will in order to receive mental health care, what's known as an M1 hold, but only if the person presents an immediate danger to themselves or others due to the mental disorder, or is so sick they can't feed or care for themselves. Colorado Health, Advocates Seek More Funding for Family Planning by Meg Wingeter. The ongoing pandemic and the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year have increased demands on Colorado's family planning clinics, prompting some advocates to call for more state funding, but it's not clear if the legislature will respond. Hunter Nelson, a policy analyst at the Colorado Children's Campaign, said the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson, which found the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, has increased pressure on family planning clinics. Colorado's family planning program doesn't pay for abortions, but some clinics like Planned Parenthood offer both abortions and state-funded services like birth control prescriptions and testing for sexually transmitted infections. Planned Parenthood reported a 95 percent increase in out-of-state patients seeking abortions after some states outlawed the procedure following the Dobbs decision, leaving fewer appointments available for other services. Quote, wait lists are going from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, Nelson said. We want Colorado to have the capacity to serve both Coloradans and out-of-state travelers. Colorado's family planning program covers contraception, pelvic exams, screening for breast, cervical and testicular cancers, basic infertility services and pregnancy testing and counseling. The Colorado Children's Campaign asked the legislature's Joint Budget Committee for a $2 million increase for the family planning program. The state estimated the program costs an average of $404 per patient, meaning an additional $2 million would increase the number of patients served by just under 5,000. The state doesn't provide the services directly, but contracts with 80 clinics. Andy Bixler, spokesman for Colorado Senate Democrats, said the Joint Budget Committee is still debating a possible increase for the family planning program, and it's too early to say what they might decide. Maria Livingston, a spokeswoman for the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, which runs the family planning program, said she couldn't comment on pending legislation. In the most recent year, the program received about $10.1 million in state and federal funds. In 2019, the state health department estimated about 93,300 women and teenage girls had unmet need for contraception, meaning they weren't pregnant and didn't want to get pregnant in the immediate future, but were uninsured or felt they couldn't use their insurance because of concerns about confidentiality. About 44,000 of them received services in 2022. The program also serves men, but in much smaller numbers. Shanti Meyer, a senior director of medical affairs at Stride Community Health Center, estimated the number of people seeking family planning services at their clinics is 10% to 15% higher than it was in 2020. It's difficult to disentangle the effects of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade from the pandemic and other factors that made people feel it wasn't a good time to have a baby, she said, though clinics that offer abortions have referred patients who are seeking contraception or testing to them. Quote, us and other health centers can help offset for patients who are looking for family planning services, she said. Women who become pregnant unintentionally are more likely to report depression, experience intimate partner violence, and start prenatal care late, contributing to higher rates of complications for their babies. The outcomes tend to be worse when the mothers are still teenagers, since they're less likely to graduate high school and more likely to live in poverty than those who had children later. A University of Colorado study estimated that at least half of the decline in birth to women under 25 between 2010 and 2014 was due to increased access to contraception. It estimated the state saved between $66.1 million and $69.6 million on Medicaid and other programs for low-income families. The abortion rate among younger women also fell. About half of the program's funding comes from Title X, a provision of the 1970 public health law that made federal dollars available to provide contraception, tests for sexually transmitted infections, and family planning counseling for low-income people. The state health department applied for an additional $5 million on the Title X funds in 2022, but didn't receive them. Clinics in Colorado's Family Planning Program attempt to bill insurance first, then charge patients on a sliding fee scale, and finally seek reimbursement from the state. About 77% of patients live below the poverty line and aren't charged. The state health department showed nearly half of Colorado's counties don't have a provider participating in the Family Planning Program. It's possible that women in these counties have access to at least some services through other clinics or private providers, though. More state funding wouldn't immediately close the gaps since it takes time to recruit new providers, Nelson said, but putting money toward attracting new providers and possibly offering higher rates would improve access in the long term, she said. Quote, Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's always accessible, she said. Meyer said that the state could also increase access by offering training for providers who aren't accustomed to handling interuterine devices and contraceptive implants. The state health department also could increase access by doing outreach to undocumented people, letting them know they won't be reported if they seek services, and by offering information in more languages and in places where immigrants and refugees congregate, Meyer said. $3.5 million project, a new look for old course, grand opening slated for March 25th for Loveland's oldest golf course by Jocelyn Rowley. Though some finishing touches still remain, the $3.5 million renovation to the clubhouse at Loveland's oldest golf course is finally complete. Late last month, crews at the old course quietly opened the doors to the modernized facility, now the home of a spacious pro shop and expanded concession stand. Quote, By and large, we had a successful project, Mark Esota, Loveland's director of golf operations, said. The idea was to give everybody a new experience. The original clubhouse was built in the early 1960s, shortly after the course opened as the Loveland's first public links. In the decades afterwards, the flat-roof single-story structure underwent two minor updates, but kept its mid-century styling. The revamped building sits in the same footprint as the former clubhouse, with its same interior square footage of 3,360 square feet. It even retains some of the same structural elements, but there's scarcely any resemblance between the before and after. The highlight of the new space is the expansive covered patio with mountain views and plentiful indoor-outdoor seating. It boasts a gas fireplace, large-screen TVs, and easy access to the 1st and 10th tee boxes. Moving inside, the updated entryway is airy with plenty of natural light from the banks of large windows on the south and west sides of the building. To the left is an expansive new pro shop stocked with golf balls, tees, hats, and athletic wear. soda and his team are especially excited about the Big Fork the old course's new food and beverage outlet. Its counter has been open for a few hours per day. The Big Fork is the creation of Jake Gargano and his wife Megan, owners of the Fork Ya yeah food truck, a regular at local events such as the Corn Roast and Sweetheart Festivals. Quote, they've got a lot of ideas and can-do attitude, De said. They have so much energy, it's hard to keep up with. That can-do attitude made Gargano and Fork yeah, the obvious favorites out of the six restaurateurs who applied for the new concession contract, he continued. The Big Fork will be offering a varied menu with made-to-order selections as well as a full bar with a rotating selection of beers, including at least one from local breweries. Fork yeah, will also have food trucks at Cattail Creek and operate the beverage cart service at the Old Course. Helping them oversee operations is General Manager Diego Andraka, who is hoping to see the Big Fork become a neighborhood destination for food and drinks, like the Birdies Burgers and Brews restaurant at Mariana Butte. Quote, We want to do events like Trivia Night or Bingo or Karaoke, Andraka said, Said that, adding that live music is also a consideration. Quote, We want to figure out the flow because there's not too much around as far as restaurants and bars in the area. The just-completed update has been a vision of his sodas ever since he took over the home at Loveland Golf in 2018. However, the project took a few months longer than he was expecting. Originally scheduled to finish in November, supply chain and contractor challenges pushed the completion date to mid-February. But Esota and contractor Mark Young Construction were able to keep the project within the $3.5 million budget thanks to careful management and hard decisions, he said. The money for the project came from the Gulf Loveland, which, as an enterprise fund, earns revenue from player fees only in addition to the new clubhouse the old course managers are also expecting new carts to arrive later this year the maintenance crew has also been working during the off season to improve tea boxes greens and general landscaping there have also been substantial improvements at cattail creek the nine hole par three course across 29th street last year the course underwent irrigation improvements that will keep water from ponding on several holes For the most part, lingering winter weather has kept large crowds off the course since the opening, but some brave golfers have been taking advantage of warming weather over the past few weeks. While most of the feedback about the renovations have been positive so far, old course head Pro-Doug Anderson acknowledged that there has been some grumbling from longtime golfers who liked the low-key ambiance of the original clubhouse and grill. Quote, a couple of people have complained that there's no rooftop bar or come in to say, I want to see what $3.5 million bought, but it's just been one or two people. He said, most of the people are very, very happy. Now that the stress of managing it is behind him, Esota is happy with the outcome of the project and what it means for the future of the old course and golf in Ludland. Quote, My mission here is to make this operation continue in the city for another 50 years, as said. And as an enterprise fund, I don't have a choice but to get more customers or die. So when I got here, we made the decision to do the irrigation at Cattail Creek and this. We had other things to do, but without customers, we can't do any of it. The public is invited to a grand opening celebration for the renovated clubhouse on March 25th, weather permitting. For more information about Old Course, visit golflovelandcom slash home hyphen golf. Lawn Commode, Windsor Resident Fights to Keep Decor by Tamara Market. Editors note this article first appeared in the March edition of My Windsor Magazine. One of the privileges of owning a home is the ability to make it your own through decorations, landscaping, paint colors, and decor, both inside and out. For Sean McGarry, a resident of Windsor's raindance community, he was given the opportunity to show the community just how much he truly is the king of his castle, when a unique yet slightly controversial item surprisingly showed up. Shortly before Halloween, McGarry returned home to find a random toilet sitting in his front yard. Quote, I'm kind of a really positive person and try to find the best in every situation, so instead of getting mad, I thought, let's have fun with this thing, McGarry explained. The next day, McGarry bought a gleaming gold skeleton and plopped it right down on the toilet seat. A few days later, someone added a candle, magazine, and toilet brush to the display. Just as the weather changes with the season, so have the toilet's decorations. For Thanksgiving, McGarry pulled out his turkey decoy to sit on the throne and surrounded it with large inflatable turkey and turkey yard steaks. When it came time to decorate for Christmas, McGarry was inspired by the reason for the season and gifted the community with another stunning lawn display. This time, the toilet was transformed into Santa's sleigh, complete with light-up reindeer and a big cherry snowman. For Valentine's Day, the toilet was turned into a kissing booth. While McGarry admits he just threw together February's decorations, it's no less funny with his bright pink toilet seat beckoning someone to stick their head through it to share a kiss with their sweetie on the other side. McGarry was still waiting for March's decorations to come in when my Windsor spoke with the homeowner, but if he stays true to his words, it will surely be another display folks won't want to miss. With each month filled with either holidays or celebrations like National Donut Day, Bladder Health Month, or sporting events like the Super Bowl, McGarry has an endless selection of ideas to choose from when it comes to decorating the toilet. Quote, "'I've met so many people in my neighborhood because they just come over. I can't believe how much this thing is blown up,' McGarry said. "'I want to keep it going.'" Despite the humor, the commode has been a thorn in the side of the HOA. On February seventh, McGarry received a letter from Advanced Homeowners Association management out of Denver warning him that the toilet is in violation of the HOA's codes. The HOA notified McGarry that he needs to attend a board meeting to file a formal plan and outline to the architectural review committee for consideration of approval for his new lawn decoration. However, McGarry disagrees. After scouring the HOA's rules and regulation, the toilet falls into, quote, a gray area. Quote, if I read the rules right, I can literally move it to the backyard and they can't do anything about it, McGarry said. I don't think they can do anything about it now because it's not a permanent structure. My Windsor was able to track down a copy of Raydance HOA rules and regulations online, and after reading the document line by line, McGarry may well be in his right to keep the controversial lawn decor. According to the decorations seasonal and holiday section of the document, quote, approval is not required as long as the decorations comply with certain standards listed by the HOA. Some of the standards include figurines, lawn, ornaments, or other displays may not be mounted on roofs or located outside of lot fences. Sensitivity to light levels should be applied when installing decorative holiday lighting. Exposed spotlights are prohibited. Decorations for any other holiday may be displayed no more than two weeks prior to the holiday and must be removed within one week following the holiday. And since... The toilet is not a permanent display and can be moved. The HOA's rules ground permanent decor decorations do not apply to McGarry's Lawn Toilet. Quote, There's no member of the HOA who lives here. They are picky and choosy when they drive through. There are houses that have been here from the original area build, and they have no fences or n- not painted fences, no landscape, said Janelle Friday, who lives directly behind McGarry. My aunt knows how to find us because of the toilet. It's not harmful to anybody. It's not offensive. We love it. Quote, it brings more joy than anything, Brett Friday added. Thank you for joining us for the Loveland Reporter Herald. My name is Seanine Shanahan. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.